This Manage Smarter episode is brought to you by SalesFuel's Coach Feed, your AI-powered assistant sales coach. Improve your salespeople with automated regular coaching in just two minutes a day with CoachFeed. For more information, visit CoachFeed.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Welcome to Manage Smarter, everyone. We are so happy that you're here today. And today we're going to be talking about, um, I guess, a deeply human way of looking at things as a leader to manage performance and improve accountability Mm -hmm. on your team. This is a very interesting topic, Lee. I'm Audrey Strong. I'm the Vice President of Communications here at SalesFuel. And Lee, you are? I am C. Lee Smith, the President and CEO of SalesFuel. And yeah, today we want to talk about good authority and as opposed to bad authority, I guess, but it's it's really all about, you know, I look at that, if you look at those two words, I I think we're going to talk more about the, the word good today than the word authority. <laughs> so I'm welcome, very Jonathan Raymond. Yes. And I thank you for coming to our Thanks microphones. Thanks for having me on. Good to see you. Yeah. Audrey, good to see you too. To see you. So Jonathan Raymond, if you're not familiar, everybody, he's the author of Good Authority. That's the name of the book. And he's the CEO at a company called ReFound, which is a very interesting company name. And you say you learn the hard way what happens when you lose your way as an executive, the impacts it can have on teams, your business and your life. We're going to ask about that and how to turn the dynamic around, how to drive performance by becoming more human with the team rather than less. Uh, You've worked with a wide variety of leaders. You specialize in helping executives and senior leadership navigate periods of high growth or uncertainty. You say you're a half-decent barista. I love it. I got my coffee mug right here. This is my wifey mug. Uh, (laughs) A passionate sub-surfer, a proud dad to two girls, and you said that you have a decent jump shot. Did I read that somewhere Mm. correctly? Yeah, that's right. And that's impressive too. How, how are you from three land? <laughs> you know, probably 15, 20 years ago, I was a lot better than I am right now. Okay. Uh, re- rehabbing a bit of a bum knee, but. Oh, well, at least so, you. So, so now he's doing free throws. Yeah. <laughs> Steph, Steph Playing horse with the daughters. Yeah. yeah. He's already better than Shaq at free throws. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to welcome, I, I guess, what happened to you that caused you to lose your way to come up with this conclusion in the book that you need to be deeply human to manage performance? Hmm. I, I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, I was good at the vision part. I was good at, hey, this is where I want to go. This is this is the hole that I see in the market. This is the opportunity that I think we can uh, really add value. And I had bounced around a bunch in my career. I started out in law and then I worked in tech and then I worked in renewable energy. And I was I, I kept finding myself in these entrepreneurial roles where I was either starting a new thing or helping somebody else who had started a new thing uh, make it bigger. And uh, somewhere along the line, I had the opportunity to become a a genuine CEO of a business. Uh, And it was during that time where I was taking a company through a full-scale transformation project, brand, technology, mission, values, business objective, uh, business model. And uh, the wheel started to come off for me, both professionally and personally. The business was fine. Uh, The business survived, but I was working way too hard. I I started to neglect uh, some of my personal relationships my my health started to deteriorate a little bit, but but mostly it really just uh, it showed up in the form of a team that I felt was really inspired, was really engaged, was really oriented towards that mission, and I started to see see the wheels come off, and I didn't understand why, and I and uh, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that, but it really led me to uh, kind of a dark night of the soul, of like what am I doing wrong? I feel like I'm a 
I'm a people-oriented person. I care about people. I want to see people grow. I had worked a lot on my own personal growth and and I just felt split. I had these goals for the business and what I wanted for people. And I just could not get those two things together. And uh, it was a really painful part of my life uh, before I started to make some changes. So let's, let's dive into that. So what was the reason? How much of it was you? How much of it was them? And how much of it was it was their reaction to you? Uh, I think it was mostly me. Uh, I mean, it's not that the team was perfect, but what I came to realize in hindsight and what I've learned of every team since is that the problem was is that I didn't understand or appreciate the impact that my authority was having on their performance. And my presence, which was sometimes actual presence, physical presence, sometimes my digital presence, my digital footprint, right, as a leader, how big of an impact that was having on their performance. And so, you know, when I look at a team, you know, I don't think it's 100% the leader, but it's 75% uh, the leader of that team and the performance of that team. And if you take that person and you put them in another environment, you're going to see a different level of performance. It doesn't mean everyone's perfect, but uh, that was my, that was the insight that I had. I said, I have to change the way I think about myself as a leader, the mindset that I take and where I choose to intervene in order to reach the goals that I have for this team. I would love to hear your vision of the trajectory that led to where you are now in the last 10 years. You said in one of your podcasts that the pendulum swung the other way 10 years ago, and now we find ourselves needing to use more care. Is that because we have more, for lack of a better term, snowflakes in the workforce that require more care and handling? Or or am I seeing this the wrong way? What is the, the trajectory from 10 years ago to now? I think it's, I think there's, there's a few factors. I think that's one of them. So, uh, you know, culture uh, became uh, more broadly acknowledged by Netflix, frankly. You know, they came out with this culture deck and everybody was sharing, you know, and everyone was, wow, this is so amazing. And look at all these things that they're doing. Uh, and I think they do do actually some of those things. Uh, but what happened was from, you know, there's some really great studies on this sort of the history of authority from World War II through present. And we, we went away from this command and control that used to be the way people operated, command and control that was accepted. That was what, that was what I assumed was gonna happen when I went into an organization, private or private, government, whatever. And that slowly deteriorated over the years, the 60s, 70s, 80s, and it, and, it, and it really swung to another way in the 2000s where people started experimenting with, well, let's just have a flat, you know, let's not have any hierarchy. We're all on the same team. We're all a family here. And we swung way to the other side. And I think we lost the benefits of hierarchy. And then in the last 10 years, people have said, wait a second, that's too far. It's not that we need to go back to command and control, but we do need structure. There are people with more experience who do have more say over the decisions we're making. And we've got to find that sweet spot. And that's where we came forward with good authorities. We said, look, we're not going back to command and control. That doesn't work for a whole bunch of reasons. And we'll get into you know, what people expect of their manager, what people expect of the leader, the amount of autonomy and creativity that people want. Uh, so we're not going back to command and control. That's, that's not the right model for the modern workforce, but we also can't have it be a free for all. We need structure and we need focus and we need some discipline and, and process in our system. That's what good authority is, is that middle ground, that 45 degree angle, uh, if you will, of, of how to lead a team in a way that, that honors the good of both of those polarities. I was checking out the, the front of your book and uh, mm -hmm. where you were like listing, you know, what good authority is and you, you mm -hmm. kind of defined it. Uh, and right off the bat, the one that stuck with me was one that I struggled with uh, maybe about a decade ago. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, when you said uh, good authority is the presence to name the things that most people overlook. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily think of things when I read that. When I read that, my challenge was about a decade ago was naming behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's particularly being able to do it in the moment uh, right. as it was happening so that I could give, you know, immediate feedback and, you know, advice if necessary. But just, you know, maybe just raising someone's awareness to actually how they were behaving in that in that moment. That was really difficult for me to learn how to do, mm. uh, you know, and, 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 and I stumbled at it. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I, I got to the point where it's like I could then I got to the point where I could do it, but I did it like 30 seconds after it was over and I had to circle back. You yes. know, or I had to course correct. And mm-hmm. eventually I got there. I think that a lot of managers who try to do that, you know, struggle with that, but they go through the same type of journey, if you will, where it's like they suck at it at first and then they get better at it, but they're on time delay. And then eventually they, they get there. It's like, uh, what else did you mean by good authority is the things that most people overlooked? Is it just behaviors or more to it than that? Uh, that's a big piece of it is like the things that we notice and they, they, they register in our consciousness, but we don't do anything about it or we do it too late or we do it too, in a too heavy handed way or whatever the thing is. And that's why we created the accountability dial because what we were hearing from our clients is, hey, our clients, our managers, we've got 100 managers, 1,000 managers, whatever it is. And by and large, we suck at this. Help us make it better. And what, and the answer can't be, well, give them 15 years and they'll be okay. We've got to go faster than that. Mm-hmm. So we created the accountability dial so that there was a framework for how to, how to take what you notice and, and put that into an action-based conversation and to go step-by-step step through five stages of conversation to make it less required that you go through those 10 or 15 years of experience as a manager to realize, oh, wait a second, it's actually a win-win when I say something uh, because they get the feedback. I, I relieve that pressure. So I don't, you know, I, I'm not hostile with them, but it's one thing to say it. And it's another thing to do it. So we created this operational framework, sort of like the, the accountability OS or operating system for a team or for a business. And that's really what we became known for in the last five years. I love that you say that it's actually a kindness in the values of good authority. It's a kindness to, t- to address it right away. So at Lee right away, not tomorrow. And you're up at three in the morning, chewing your cud and angry or whatever. Um, What's an example of the five steps? Can you give us a scenario? Yeah. So the, so the five stages or five steps are the mention, the invitation, the conversation, the boundary and the limit. Okay. So we did was we said, okay, with any performance related. And by the way, you, we, we teach people to use this peer to peer. So not just with the direct reports, We teach them to use it with their manager. How do you hold your manager accountable? So the same tool applied to different contexts. But the mention is, you know, let's say you have somebody on your team and they're usually, you know, really crisp on the details of things and they're on top of it. And you've just, you noticed, you know, there was a couple of things recently, maybe in some meetings where you sense that their energy is lower. Maybe they're, you know, they, they seem a little bit aloof and you really care about this person and they're a key member of your team rather than assuming that the problem will go away, lean into it and say, and find a moment could be in, you know, in a one-on-one or some, you know, after a video call, or maybe it's, you know, you can text with them if you have that kind of relationship. Hey, you know, you seemed a little bit, you know, a little bit down this week. Is there anything I can help with? Or, you know, just intervening, letting them know that you care, letting them know that you see them, which is even more important now during COVID with everybody working from home and we're all on screens. And we're missing all these neurobiological clues. 
for managers to take those little moments. That's the, the mention. And we've seen the mention, which is just the first step in the dial. We've seen that transform teams and cultures where people, where they actually feel seen in the things. And people will oftentimes say, wow, I had no idea that anybody noticed. You know, thanks for bringing that to my attention. And the whole point of the mention is I'm not bringing any intensity, any authority, any punitivity. I'm not coming with any energy that they did anything wrong. I'm just saying, hey, I noticed this thing, you know, talk to me, you know, let's, let's be in relationship about it. And people all of a sudden they go, wait a second, this is great. This person's being transparent with me. They're being vulnerable. They're not waiting to a performance review, right? Worst possible, they wait six months. And then they say, oh, hey, I've noticed you've been disconnected over the last six months. Thanks a lot. You know, what am I supposed to do <laughs> yeah. with that information? So being early in the process, raising those things. And I'll just say one last thing that the, the biggest mindset for leaders to get over, you don't have to have the answer mm -hmm. to make a mention. You don't have to know why. You don't have to, you have to have the theory. All you have to know is what you saw. And then speak about it from your own experience. Hey, I noticed this. Could be wrong. I might have misread it. I'm willing to take in new information. But the, only, the mistake we make is we, we wait too long to talk about what we're seeing, and then we don't give that person the well, opportunity. That's a great to, way to do it, actually, is to say, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm observing that. That, that, that is like, am, am I seeing that right or am I reading that wrong? It's like, it's like exactly. Just, that's a great way to do it. And then you're diffusing your authority, right? So mm -hmm. you're saying, hey, I know I'm the boss here, even if I'm a manager, may not be the CEO. I know that there's a little bit of a risk to this, right? But to, to raising it, but I wanted to raise it in the spirit of growth and, you know, us being, you know, working together as a team. So what though, as you say, you need some structure to, in the sweet spot. So for accountability, when you have to flex your position, when results aren't coming in, what is the new correct way to do that? So we go, we take people through the accountability doll. So one of the questions that I'll ask, often ask when I'm working with a group of leaders is let's say, give me a, give me a, a piece of behavior that's problematic. Someone on your team is doing something that isn't good. Uh, what is that thing? And then someone will say, oh, well, you know, this person always talks over other people when we have meetings and, you know, shuts down the space so other ideas don't get shared. I said, okay, great. Uh, let's call that person Mike. Mike is going to do that thing. And he's going to do that thing in exactly this way. And he's going to do that thing in exactly this way on your team for the next 10 years. How do you feel about that? Ooh, no, I don't want that. That's horrible. No, that's not okay. Okay, great. How about five years? No, no, that's not good. I, <laughs> I can't wait. One year. No, that's not good either. And what, what, what we always find is you, if you actually talk people through it, they'll say, hey, you know, they'll, they always say the same thing is as long as he was working on it, as long as it changes in the mm -hmm. next kind of 30 to 60 days, I'm, I'm okay with as that. As long as he tries, right? As long as he tries, as long as there's progress. And here's the thing. The only person who doesn't know that is Mike. Yeah. So right. that's the conversation. That's how we intervene as we say, hey, here's what's happening. And there are some steps that we skipped over on the accountability to kind of get to that place. But hey, here's what we're talking about. This is what needs to change. And here's what change looks like. Are you on board? Do you, do you agree that that's something that you need to work on? What would be good about that? What would be the upside for changing for you? How would you improve in the eyes of your colleagues? How would you improve your standing in the organization? But the boundary, right? Just like with, as parents, as friends, right? We're, we are not good at setting boundaries with other people in our culture and especially in the business world. We think we're being, we're, oh, if we set a boundary, I'm being mean, I'm being intense, I'm a being micromanager. Exactly, that and it's lie. the, it's the opposite. That's what people are hungry for. They want structure. They want to know what are they doing that's great. 
so they can keep doing it? What are they doing that's not great so they can stop doing it? And is there a little bit of discomfort in there? Sure, sometimes, but you're a leader. You get paid for a little bit of discomfort. So you got to lean into those moments. So what's the invitation look like? Is that, you know, is that, you know, handwritten, engraved? I mean, <laughs> what, what does that the sound hallway, like? Just in the hallway? What? <laughs> so it can be in the hallway if you're fortunate enough. Some of our clients are actually back in physical work environments these days. Mm -hmm. So if you actually have the opportunity to be in person, the invitation, which is that second step, is when you're starting to see a pattern emerge, right? So they seemed a little disengaged in the meeting. You got a proposal and it was kind of less than their best. And you heard some other comment, like no one of those things is a hill worth dying on. But you're seeing a pattern, someone who, again, someone you care about, they're important to your team, and you, want to, and you want to find a way to say, hey, I've noticed a couple of different things. They're not the same thing, but they're related. There's a pattern emerging, and I wanted to get out as your manager, because the care, and I want to help you be your best. I want to get out ahead of that. So that's the invitation. So we saw it once. It didn't change. That's okay. Personal growth, it doesn't happen in a straight line, especially if it's a behavior that's hard to change. So that second step, the invitation help them see the pattern. We're really good at seeing patterns in other people. We're really mm -hmm. lousy at seeing those patterns in ourselves. Can't see your own whole, blind spots. Yeah. And the whole purpose of good authority is to say to people, look, as managers and leaders in this crazy modern world, that's big part of your job. And we have Fortune 100 clients who are saying, not only do we say that conceptually, it's now in your comp. So when we're evaluating you, we're looking not just at your technical performance, but are you coaching? Are you giving feedback? Are you creating the, the, the conditions for other people to grow? And that trend is going to accelerate over the rest of this decade. I love this. Okay, I'm going to ask the devil's advocate question, which is, how does this approach work when you are dealing with somebody who thinks they're the smartest person in the room and they hate <laughs> authority, period? No ifs, mm -hmm. ands, or buts. Yep. What do you do? Because those people are out there. It's they always pushback. They, Everything's pushback. Yeah. yeah, they definitely are. So, so the thing that we do, that's, so there's two parts to this. Okay. One is you got to think structurally. So who in the organization does this person take accountability from right now, if they're a CEO and they don't have a board and there's nobody holding them accountable, we got a big problem, right? Yeah. Right. If there's no, if there's no systemic way to hold that person accountable, we've got a problem, but there are other ways, right? Attrition, top talent, like the, the message gets through to CEOs in, in different ways. So, so when they lose a bunch of key people and in those exit interviews or they get some lousy reviews on Glassdoor. So that message will sometimes get through at the top of the org chart. There, here's the, so that's one. So what's, what needs to be done that's systemic or structural? But the other piece, which is more common is we have somebody like that. And what we do is we try to hit them over the head and tell them to change, right? And what we don't do is we, we don't name, we don't step out of that relationship mm -hmm. and name the dynamic. We don't step out of it and we say, hey, Michelle, um, look, you know, as your peer, let's say we're both VPs in the same company, you know, I'm not your boss. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't have the authority to tell you what you do, but I got to tell you, it's, it's challenging sometimes because whenever we have these conversations, it feels like it's, you know, we, I spend a lot of effort and energy trying to kind of have a collaborative conversation with you and it, and it never seems to go well. Do you, do you, what's your experience of when we're, of when we interact, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not making her bad. I'm not making her wrong. I'm not telling her she's an idiot, but I'm saying, Hey, something doesn't work for me about our relationship. Like I would with a friend, right? And, and actually naming the dynamic and getting their perspective, right? And a lot of times you will learn some new things in that, but it's the, the, the mistake we make is we try to get somebody to change. Hey, you need to do this differently. And then you're, you're banging on a closed door. 
instead of saying, hey, this isn't working for me, and then you start to tap into a different form of self-interest, a different place in their mind, they're like, ooh, wait a second, that, this might be something I need to look at. So every situation is different. I work with, I, my role at ReFound, you know, we have a big team, but I'm often working with some of the most problematic characters inside of an organization. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's different with every person, but you gotta, you gotta work to find what makes them tick if you're gonna keep them, mm -hmm. right? And it's gotta be clear, they need to see how their behavior is impacting their outcome. Once you can get one of these, you know, a type A high, high energy leader to see that they could get a better result if they change their behavior, then you can talk to them about behavioral change. But if you tell them, if you show up like an HR person and say, oh, you really need to be coaching and blah, 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 in, in one ear out the other. So, can you imagine a professional sports coach that all he or she does is yell at the players, you need to right. play better. Right. Right. Run well, faster. Can, 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 can you break that down for me? <laughs> it's like, right. What exactly am I not doing well? And how do you propose I do it differently? Right. Give me a clue here. <laughs> and, and here's, I'll just give you one quick piece to remember when you go into these conversations with, remember, they care a lot. They, the way they behave may be awful. But underneath that, this is somebody who cares about the result. They are passionate about the detail. They want it done right. The way they transact that care is terrible and problematic and it needs to change. But don't lose sight of what's underneath that is a human being who almost always cares a lot about the result that they're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. We've got a few minutes left. I wanted to ask you about this notion that bringing your whole self to work doesn't mean being happy all the time. What's mm -hmm. that all about? The, one of my pet peeves is, and it, it's, I think people are starting to get the message. I was, I've been banging the drum on this for the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. There's this notion that like whole self or human self, it's like, oh, that's like, it's about everybody being happy and positive and, you know, everybody's la, la, la. such a good la, la. you know, it's very sort of kumbaya, <laughs> right? That's not a whole self. There's no whole self that is only positive. We have a mm -hmm. range of human emotion. We get frustrated. We have worries. We have concerns. We have anxiety. We get scared. That's what it means to be a whole self. And now how do you bring, we get depressed sometimes, we get down on ourselves, we feel insecure. Oh, bringing your whole self to work means being able in the right forum with the right context to be able to bring those parts of ourself yeah. into work as well. We don't really Otherwise, want to bring them to bring the whole self, do we? What's that? We really don't want them to bring their whole self, do we? <laughs> right, so you gotta be careful yeah. if you're gonna say, bring your whole self to work. Well, well, well what do you mean by that, right? So, I, so bring, bring your human self to work. But you know, there are places, especially these days, managers and leaders are responsible for more and more of the mental and emotional well-being of their team. You gotta be willing to have some of those conversations. You gotta have boundaries and say, hey, look, I get it. I get that you're having that, that that's going on. I'm not really in a position to help you with it, but I appreciate you telling me. You gotta have healthy boundaries and that's practice, right? But people, you know, mental health, huge uptick in, you know, the data during COVID was, it was already going up and it spiked during COVID, you know, lockdowns and all this kind of stuff. We're not through the woods there yet. So people need help. They need the manager to care. They need someone to invest in them. They need someone to have some of those conversations and you got to work on those boundaries, find some peers, find some coaches, you know, you want, we found to help you in your organization. Fine. We're not the only game in town, uh, but we love what we do. You can come find us. Uh, yeah. That's what I'll say about it. So it's refound.com and on LinkedIn, if you want to reach out to Jonathan, it's Jonathan Refound is uh, how you listen on LinkedIn. And uh, I, I personally would like to clone you and have you just be in our workplace 
<laughs> every day to guide us on this stuff because it really is fascinating and it's a fine art, it seems to mm. me. Yeah, um, thanks. Yeah, I, maybe I, you move to Ohio and uh, go into our home office. Well, we're virtual I, now. We're I do get that request. My team is yeah. working on a product platform <laughs> to, to as best we can to like, uh, you know, be able to do do this at scale. We, we do it, so we, you know, we do it as big as we can at the moment. So That's a, great. A, couple, a couple of thoughts before we close out. Uh, we're talking about sales managers in particular. And I was looking at a, a, a study done by the Sales Management Association in terms of what sales managers are effective at when it comes to coaching, what they're good at. So it's uh, sales opportunities, doing deal coaching, prioritizing the pipeline, enhancing knowledge, product knowledge of their products. Mm -hmm. uh, then you get focusing a salesperson's attention on their current performance, reviewing administrative requirements, reviewing company information or policies. And finally, we get down to developing skills at only at the bottom, 42% 40, oh, of effectiveness, 58% ineffective, improving motivation, 39% effectiveness, 61% ineffective. Mm. So is that, you know, is that pretty much what we're talking about here? And the fact that, you know, really to us, for us to improve all those other things that I mentioned that, that typically happen during sales coaching conversations, you know, we can actually improve those results and that attention by, by focusing more, more of our efforts and energies on the developing the skills and, and, and understanding the mindset and improving motivation. Yeah. I, I ran a sales team. I don't run a sales team right now, but I ran a sales team some years ago. And one of the things that I did, which was painstaking is I would slow those calls down. I'm sure you teach people to do you know, some of the slow those calls down and you can find opera. It's not like this. You can find opportunities for personal growth on the sales call right? You don't have to invent some whole new thing for this person to work on themselves. If you actually listen to that call and you understand how they're thinking about things and the way they approach conversations and relationships, like what, sales is a relationship, right? So what better place to work on yourself? I don't know of one than in relationships. So how do they, how do those salespeople show up in relationships? Where do they struggle with intimacy, right? In those relationships, where do they struggle with confidence? Where do they struggle with insecurity? That's all the, I love working with sales teams because that's the, all the personal growth you could ever need. They're in, mm -hmm. they're supposed to be in relationship all day long. The most important relationship that a salesperson has is the one they have with themselves. Yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that relationship with self shows up in our outer relationships or how we feel about ourselves, mm -hmm. our level of confidence, our level of overconfidence, right? Our willingness to ask questions, to be curious, to be consultative in our approach. Right. You know, that's uh, that's all grist for the mill for personal growth. That's where all the good stuff is. Well, you've got a handout for our listeners and our viewers. Do you want to give us the website before we sign off? Jonathan? For, you bet. Yeah. So if you go to refound.com slash manage smarter, uh, you'll see our guide to one on ones and uh, a couple other resources. We have a video course for folks who are interested in that and a discount for your audience um, and some other ways to get in touch with us uh, to keep going with our journey. Sounds great. This is great stuff. Thanks again for being on the show. We appreciate your time, Jonathan. Great to meet you both. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.